Well, good morning to all the folks of Hamilton Baptist Church. It's a real privilege to be with you this morning. I'm preaching from my own home here in East Kilbride. It's been a very unusual season in the life of our churches and the life of ministers like myself. And I've been enjoying the privilege of being your interim moderator, but I must confess I've not enjoyed the fact that I've not been able to be amongst you to spend some time sitting uh, with the congregation at different meetings or to be amongst the leaders uh, or to be working face to face with the search committee. It has been good to be working with the search committee. We'll continue that work uh, via Zoom and uh, I think the whole nation's becoming a nation of Zoombies, uh, but uh, it's been good to work uh, alongside them. They're working hard, they're working very diligently in the context that we find ourselves in and of course all of us are working towards uh, getting back to gathering together as the people of God. But it's a real privilege to be with you this morning to bring God's word and I trust that where you are uh, you're all well at the present moment in time and praying that God would open the door for us to gather again as the Church of Jesus Christ. But uh, this morning we're going to continue our series in First Timothy we have got to First Timothy chapter 4 and I must confess I've thoroughly enjoyed as your interim moderator listening and tuning in to the different folks that have been preaching Sunday by Sunday and in this particular series in First Timothy the opening three chapters have been dealt with by Robert Murdoch and uh, by David McCaig and by Craig Dyer respectively and I've enjoyed all three of the deliveries on First Timothy chapters 1, 2 and 3 and so uh, a real privilege for me this morning and also this evening to unpack First Timothy chapter 4. What I'm going to do in a moment or two is pray then we're going to read God's word and then after we read God's word, we're going to go into uh, the preaching of it. It is my plan this morning to deal with the opening 11 verses and then this evening uh, to look at the remaining verses of 1 Timothy chapter 4. But if you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to open that and then we'll pray and then we'll read God's word together and begin to unpack that. So let's pray together. Our gracious Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to gather together around your word this day. We pray, Lord our God, that each one of us would be aware of your presence and that your peace would rest upon us, particularly as we set aside this time just to hear from your word. We thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. We thank you that it's able, uh, by the word of God and the spirit of God, to penetrate our hearts and lives. And we ask that this day, you would speak in your word and each one of us would be willing, ready, prepared to respond to what you would say that we might honour and magnify and glorify you with our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, turn with me, if you will, to First Timothy chapter 4 and we'll read in God's word. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, 
and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Amen. And we pray that God would bless this word to us and that he would speak as we unpack this word this morning. Amen. Well, it is good uh, to be with you. And uh, if you uh, think back to all that you've received so far in First Timothy 1, 2 and 3, you'll know that when Robert was preaching amongst us, uh, he was uh, laying out the foundation uh, for this letter that Paul has written to Timothy. You'll know that uh, he was warning them even there in chapter 1 against the false teachers, against those uh, who would enter in. And you'll know uh, that both David uh, and uh, Craig took time to talk about uh, what it is to play our role in the ministry of the life of the church and what it is to be an elder or a deacon in the life of the church. And here in First Timothy chapter 4, Paul is particularly uh, speaking about what it is to be a, a good minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. In actual fact, for ourselves in a, a period of vacancy, uh, it's an exciting little passage to be in because it speaks about uh, the qualifications of good ministers and uh, the things that they should be good at, the things that they should be able to do, uh, the character, the quality, the gifts, the ability that should be in them. And of course, it was there in young Timothy and it was very much there in the Apostle Paul. And at the present moment in time, uh, Paul is writing to encourage Timothy as he continues uh, to lead the church and to preach and to teach in the midst of the circumstances and situations that were surrounding them. And in the letter itself, Paul is planning to come again uh, to Ephesus where they are uh, and to visit again. And he's exhorting and encouraging Timothy, uh, do a good job, do a godly minister's job. 
uh, in my absence. Now, it, it's interesting, the end of chapter 3, didn't get full opportunity to unpack all of that. At the end of chapter 3, the, there's a beautiful little picture. It says, uh, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Beautiful little picture, right? How we as the people of God should behave uh, within the church. The church, which is uh, the church of the living God, the church which is a pillar and buttress of the truth. The church of Jesus Christ stands upon, represents, lives by uh, the revealed word of God, the revealed truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. The followers of Christ live their life, build upon this solid foundation of the eternal truth of God as revealed in Holy Scripture. And here uh, in First Timothy, the end of chapter 3, transitioning into chapter 4, we get this wonderful picture. This is the church of the living God. The church of the living God stands for the truth of God's word as it has been revealed. And the ministers of God's word are going to be very faithful servants of the truth of God's word. And they're going to be those who will unpack the whole counsel of God. They're going to be those who are going to uh, diligently and in a disciplined way, even in a systematic way, teach the word of God to the faithful, uh, feed the sheep of God. Of course, uh, Paul uh, had warned uh, many times that uh, after the church was established, there would be many false teachers who would arise even from within uh, the ranks of the church itself. If you uh, were to turn back to the, the Acts of the Apostles and uh, in Acts uh, chapter 20 uh, and uh, at verse uh, 29, uh, you get this beautiful little phrase, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And of course, the reality is that uh, as the church of Jesus Christ uh, was being formed and established and many were coming into the fold of the church, there were those who, who started to show their fangs, show their teeth, as it were, and began to teach that which was contrary to the revelation uh, of God's word. I think it was, was it Luther, I think, who said uh, that the, the good minister must feed the sheep and shoot the wolves. And uh, the reality is here in First Timothy chapter 4, uh, Paul is writing to young Timothy, a young minister of the gospel, and he's exhorting them to be faithful in what it is to guard against false teaching. In actual fact, we see that there uh, in the opening verses. He says, now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And there, there's a sense in which uh, Paul, writing to Timothy, is saying, make sure you, you know that which is false teaching. Make sure you can observe those which are not teaching uh, the whole truth of God. 
those who are distorting uh, the, the teachings in order to satisfy their own ends and uh, he very much wants to warn against this. It's interesting that uh, when you read Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus in, in Ephesians chapter 6 uh, you get that uh, great exhortation about what it is to put on the whole armour of God and from verse 11 it says put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And there, at the start of First Timothy chapter 4, uh, Paul, uh, writing to Timothy, says that everything that is a dilution of the word of God, or everything that is anti the revelation of God's word as we have it in Christ and in the whole of the Old and New Testament. In actual fact, it is birthed, as it were, in the pit of hell itself. The root is, uh, it is anti-Christ. It is demonic in its root. And so uh, Paul uh, is reminding Timothy uh, that these things are, are birthed not in the revelation of God, but in actual fact, uh, by the father of all lies himself, Satan himself. And so uh, those false teachers that he's warning Timothy against are following a, a teaching which is anti-Christ. They are following a teaching which is against the revealed plan and purposes of God. And, and as human teachers themselves, their consciences, he says to me, see it, it's like uh, cauterized. You know, when you, uh, you, you, you burn something in order that it seals up their, their conscience, their mind has been cauterized, almost uh, anesthetized uh, against uh, that which is true and pure and holy. And he says they are insincere. They are liars with a seared conscience. Now, he, he begins to unpack a little bit of the character uh, of these particular false teachers that he's referring to. In actual fact, you find uh, Paul also writing against similar teachers in his letter to the church at Colossae and the Colossians. And really, it, it was Gnostic uh, teachers. And, and what they would do is they would add... Uh, rules and regulations uh, onto uh, what it is to be true followers. Of course, not true followers of Christ, true followers of themselves. And there's a particular uh, Gnostic dualism about these false teachers as revealed in First Timothy chapter 4. He, he says that they forbid marriage and they require abstinence from foods. And so they they specialise, as it were, on kind of uh, specific regulations, but regulations not according to what God has revealed, but regulations uh, according to their own uh, makeup. Uh, Gnostic dualism would have serious issues with anything that was created uh, and created matter in particular. And so uh, here uh, they have difficulties with and they've got uh, regulations against, aesthetic regulations against uh, marriage uh, and uh, particular foods. Now, these are things which recurred often in the life of the early church. 
uh, you'll find Paul writing to the church at Corinth and there he says, uh, you know, it, it's good for a person to marry, but not all will be called to marry. So it's fine for a person to be single as well. You'll find Paul uh, sometimes challenging Peter when he started to uh, be particular over certain foods. Uh, and you'd find uh, elsewhere discussions about food that's been offered to idols and so on and so forth. But these particular teachers that he was warning against had this aesthetic view uh, of marriage. You should not marry and you should not eat certain foods and, and so Paul's encouraging Timothy encouraging ourselves as well to be very careful as we hear teaching as we hear people uh, proclaiming what is a word from God to make sure that everything they say everything they teach is drawn straight out of the word of God is it, it, it's faithful to what God has revealed it's not something which is running contrary to the word of God or it's not something they're imposing on the word of God and of course Paul is able uh, in his encouragement of young Timothy uh, to write and to say now you know that biblically there is nothing wrong with marriage and you know that biblically uh, there is nothing wrong uh, in the freedom that we have in Christ uh, from eating uh, the different foods that God has given. Uh, and, and so he, he takes us, as it were, to the creative plan of God. He takes us right back to the theology of creation. He says, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy uh, by the word of God and prayer. And so we, uh, we, we realise here as he takes us back to that theology of creation that in particular these two things, we'll just deal with these two things because that was the, the false teachers issue. Uh, but as we look at any kind of false teaching, we've got to look at what the word of God says come into line, be in alignment with what God has spoken, what God has revealed. But the, the, the reality is here that for these two, it was God who ordained marriage. It was God uh, who said that it was not good for a man to be alone and created his helpmate for him. It, it is God who has blessed marriage uh, and made it something that for many folks it is the right pattern. I want to be very careful to say that many people are called to a life of singleness and before God that is good and right and for his glory. It's not that one is better than the other, but marriage is good. And so the reality is that here uh, he says the, 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 the plan of God, uh, the revealed plan and purpose of God has not changed. And he said the word of God and all its teaching on the blessings of marriage has not changed. In fact, James writing to the church says that every good and perfect gift comes from God above and we ought to receive that with thanksgiving. We ought to receive that uh, with a real joy in, in our hearts. And, and he says the same, of course, about foods. He said uh, food is that which God gives us uh, to sustain us even in, in our prayer that we learn from the lips of our Lord Jesus himself give us this day our daily bread is a request that God would give us all that we need in order to satisfy the physical hunger that we experience of course notice it says 
what God has called good, we have to receive with thanksgiving. That which is in accordance with God's word, we have to receive with thanksgiving. There's even a, a suggestion, I think, here that uh, when it talks about made holy by the word of God and by prayer, that it may even be an early reference to that practice we have of stopping just before we eat. You know, we taught our children to do that. We teach our grandchildren to do that. You know, that uh, my wife's a wonderful cook. And, you know, when she puts down that wonderful meal on the table, you you, you, you know, sometimes I walk down from a study where I'm just now and I can already, the aroma's coming up the stairs, you know, my, my stomach's already agreeing with everything that I'm smelling. But when I get there, just to stop and to, to say grace, to receive all of this with thanksgiving. What a wonderful God you are. What a wonderful provision you make, even in the everyday simplicity of being able to eat freely of that which has been given by your good hand. And so he exhorts them to do that. Of course, it is very easy for us to take good things and to to twist them to pervert them the uh, the wonderful gift of of marriage uh, which in the context as god designed it male and female uh, is to be enjoyed uh, the wonderful gift of food as god uh, has given it is to be received with thanksgiving but of course uh, you know very quickly uh, you know the the desire for uh, physical relationship for sexual satisfaction can can go beyond the bounds for which God has created it and it can degenerate into lust and equally with food we can go beyond just the satisfying of hunger and it can go towards greed so this is not about lust and greed this is actually about receiving everything in its perfect plan from the God of all grace who delights to pour good things into his family, into his children. And so Paul, uh, he, he warns Timothy, he said, you know, we've always known that in the church of Jesus Christ, some will depart from the faith. We've always known that false teachers will arise. And, and you know how false teaching usually just goes off a little bit. But when you think about the trajectory, what happens is that you just take a text and you knock it out of shape and then before long you're a long way away from the initial meaning and what Paul says is always put it through the matrix of the creative plan of God always put it through the matrix of the revealed word of God always put it through the matrix of what God has spoken what God has revealed what God has said and so he's exhorting and he's encouraging Timothy and really he's encouraging him to be a faithful minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Timothy's calling. You know, we've been looking in this letter of Timothy about what it is to be faithful members in the life of church, what it is to be, uh, you know, and later on we'll be looking at more, uh, you know, instructions for the church and instructions for the family, uh, what it is to be a faithful members of the life of the church, what it is to be faithful elders, what it is to be faithful deacons. And he speaks into Timothy's life and he says what it is to be a faithful minister of the gospel. And so he says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine 
that you have followed. And, and you can see, uh, you know, Paul, he always writes in ways that encourage Timothy, that build Timothy up, that, that bless uh, Timothy uh, and that uh, strengthen him for all that God is calling him to do. And so uh, here you here you see it, you know, uh, you put the truth before the brothers. You put the whole counsel of God's word. When they go off on ascetic views about marriage and about abstaining from foods, you open up the word of God. You take them back to the creative ordinance and plan of God, to the theology of God's word, to the solid foundation. You're leading the church. It's the pillar and buttress of truth. So you take them there. You take them right into the word of God, right into the heart of God. You know, receive it with thanksgiving. It's made holy by the word of God. It's made holy as we receive it as the people of God uh, in prayer. You know, prove yourself to be a good servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, You've been trained in the words of faith and the good doctrine that you followed. You know, we... I love that little bit elsewhere where he talks about Timothy's upbringing of how, uh, you know, he had a a godly mother and grandmother and he'd been taught the scriptures from an early age. Uh, And and then, of course, he had the privilege of being an apprentice to Paul. And what a privilege it was for Timothy to do all of that. And he said, you know, you are a good servant. Continue to be a good servant. Show that that training and faith and sound doctrine, which is yours, you know, let that come out. Uh, as you feed the people of God, as you build up the church of Jesus Christ, this living church of our Lord Jesus Christ, who stand in the truth uh, of God's word. It's wonderful. And then we get this uh, lovely uh, little uh, imagery that he he presents. He, He says in verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths have nothing to do, in fact, uh, elsewhere it's translated as old wife's tales, have nothing to do with that which has got no substance, no uh, buttress to it. Don't have anything to do with that which has got no solid foundation. But what he does is he then says, rather train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness for while bodily training is of some value godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come and and so he he, he says that's a, a trustworthy saying that godliness has got value for this life and for the life to come and God, by his word and by his spirit, will do a work creating in our hearts and in our lives that you and I become godly in character and nature and who we are and how we're living and who we are becoming. And he, he says to Timothy, he says, I want you to train in those things. Now, Timothy, in all probability, uh, was a, a, a man in his mid possibly late, mid to late 30s. Still very much, uh, you know, a young man in terms of uh, his leadership in the life of the church. But nonetheless, we see very clearly in in Paul's writing, uh, he had a maturity about him that's not measured by years. It's measured by character. It's measured by who a man in Christ is becoming. 
and you know I, I get so excited about the wonderful privilege of mentoring young people and I'll talk more about that this evening when we, we unpack particular encouragements he brings to Timothy but he says to him train yourself for godliness now I, I don't know if any of you are fitness fanatics I, I don't know if any of you in actual fact spend lots of time in the gym but really what what Paul is giving us here and, and what he's saying to young Timothy and saying to you and I it is really a picture of the gymnasium it's a picture of the, the gymnasium it's a picture of the uh, going to work it's a picture of the training regime now my my youngest uh, child uh, Alistair Alistair's 31 years of age born in 1989 and Alistair is 31 uh, he has always been one of these young guys, even as a, a, a child, uh, always incredibly sporty. I mean, phenomenal sportsman. And, and it was no real surprise to his mother and I that by the time he was getting to a third, fourth year in school, he, he didn't really want too much to do with the world of academia. He wanted everything to do with the world of physical fitness. It, it was with some pride that uh, as parents, a rightful pride as parents, that by the time he was 25 years of age, he opened his first gym. A remarkable achievement. But when I look at Alistair, he is the personification of everything that he is telling others to become. You know, he's a tremendous model of physical fitness and let me tell you it does not come easily uh, he, he's very naturally sporty he's very naturally athletic yes but I have watched him train for CrossFit championships he was number one in Scotland he was very high up for quite some time uh, in Britain and, and uh, represented in Europe he's an incredibly fit young man and uh, but the training that goes in to become that kind of person he thinks nothing of standing on his hands and walking you know further than I could comfortably run you know he, he, I can only try to describe something of the uh, the physical prowess because my simple answer to all of that is that uh, it's all in the raw material and he gets it from me but the, you know the, the truth be told uh, the, the, the physical training is what Paul is looking at there he's saying as people that are incredibly fit diligently apply themselves to becoming that so you should train yourself for godliness you know sometimes when we look at the amount of time we give to God and to his word and to the things of grace we're a bit like those folks that have got a gym membership, but they never use it. What he says is train yourself to be godly. Apply yourself to all that God has given you. And, and it's a beautiful picture. He says, to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope in the living God. So what he's saying is that you and I should become a people who are unafraid to apply ourselves 
to the spiritual gymnasium. You and I are unafraid to give ourselves over, as it were, to the, the, the machines of grace, you know, the, the methods of grace that will pr produce in you and I a godly life. You know, I, I've been reading some of the, the old Puritans recently and uh, the old Puritans were, were very disciplined people in terms of becoming uh, the man in Christ that God was calling them to be. And I was reading a little bit about the life of Thomas Watson. He was a Puritan preacher. And he once preached a message to his congregation entitled 20 Directions for Your Soul. Now you imagine that, I mean, I've already got half an eye on the clock here knowing that I need to wind down uh, this morning's message, but you imagine 20 directions for your soul and then he unpacks all 20 and all 20 are a beautiful picture of what it is to be in that spiritual gymnasium, what it is just as the people of God and certainly for the ministers of Christ, what it is uh, to train ourselves in godliness. I'm just going to give you them uh, quickly. Uh, I'm not going to unpack all 20. You'll be glad to hear that. He says, keep constant hours every day with God. Keep constant hours every day with God. Second one, get good books in your home. You know, make sure that the, the bookshelves are full of great reading material. Third one, have a care for your company. Think about the company you keep. Is it company that's building you up in the Lord or is it company that's tearing you down? Not talking here about evangelism. That's something we've got to do in actual fact. That comes out right at the very uh, end of this little section this morning. But have a good care for your company. Uh, have a care for whom you hear. Isn't that relevant? First Timothy 4, pay no attention to those uh, who, who preach false doctrine, but instead have a care for who you hear. Question 5, follow after sincerity. Make sure that there's no hypocrisy. These folks were hypocritical liars. Make sure there's no hypocrisy. Uh, Self-examination, soul care is a great discipline. Take time to look about how, is it, you know, we love to sing that, it is well with my soul. Is it well with your soul? Keep up your spiritual watch. You know, make sure uh, that, that, that you're alert to the things of God, to the plan and purpose of God. Meet with the believers. Don't neglect to gather together uh, with the people of God. Set your affections above the world. You know, sit lightly to the things of this world. You know, don't be overcome by possessions that will just rot and rust anyway. Uh, trade much in the promises of God. Spend time uh, realising that the promises of God are obligations you know, to God for each one of us. Incredible, actually, when you think about that. I can see so much about that. Uh, live in a calling. What that means is live in the plan and purpose that God has for your life. Love God and your neighbour. Be wise and harmless. Verse 14th one, be more afraid of sin than you are of suffering. Don't be afraid to suffer for Jesus' sake. Instead, be more afraid of sin because that just leads you in a path that you don't want to walk down. Take heed of idolatry, was his 15th one. 16th, uh, don't think bad uh, when a godly life is persecuted. You know when you do the right thing for God and people speak ill of you or, or, or people uh, want to kind of rage against you? Don't think bad of that. 
you know, the Lord Jesus Christ promised that that would be the case. 17. Uh, don't think, uh, you know, the uh, weak of popularized sin. Don't don't think about popularized sin. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, don't think well of popularized sin is what he was saying. And, and, and really what he's saying there is, that, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes become acceptable just because everybody's doing it. He says, never fall into that trap. Uh, don't do that at all. 18th, do the good works of faith. Do the things that God's called you to. 19, do good to others as long as you live. Whenever there's an opportunity to do a person good, do that for them. And 20, every day, think upon eternity. Now, that was a 20-point sermon and he unpacked every every part. I give you just to say, you know, sometimes you walk into the gym and you look around the instruments of torture and you think, which one am I going to go to? These are not instruments of torture. These are instruments of blessing, enabling you to become godly, enabling you to become the man or the woman in Christ that God has called you to be. And so he says, train yourself. Work hard at becoming the man or woman in Christ that God is calling you to be. To this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God. You see, we're focused on all that God has got planned for us. He said, the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. Now, some people got all kind of caught up uh, in this is a saying is this a universalist comment that everyone will be saved that's not what Paul is saying you always balance scripture with scripture and we know that Paul never taught universalism Paul uh, taught very clearly that we are only saved through repentance and faith through repentance and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ this really is an exhortation to evangelism we know that God has given us the message of salvation that will proclaim to all people for it says for God so loved the world that whosoever believes will not perish but have eternal life and so those who believe we proclaim the message of God uh, in order that whosoever believes will not perish but have eternal life and so uh, he's exhorting us uh, to proclaim that and that's also later on when he says save both you and your hearers he's exhorting us to be faithful in the, the business of not just building up people in the word of God but of proclaiming the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ being the evangelist angel and he says command and teach these things now Timothy was a young man Paul and we'll see this a little bit later this evening was building him up in Christ uh, and he, when we start this evening he says don't let people look down on you just because you're young he says you've got authority as a minister of the gospel to command and teach the precious things of God's word and so you do that do that clearly do that powerfully do that in the authority that is an authority that God gives to his preachers. It's not the authority the preacher has himself. It's an authority that he has in Christ to proclaim and to make Jesus known. Well, let's pray together and we'll come back to this wonderful little chapter this evening. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that you warned us in your word that would be those uh, who would come in in these days to try and deceive even those who uh, are part of the elect people of God if that were possible but Father we thank you that you have raised up in every day and every age and every generation those who are faithful ministers of the whole counsel of God's word and we thank you for all that we learn out of the life of young Timothy and Paul training 
training and equipping and enabling him. And we pray, Lord our God, that you would help us to see false teaching for what it is, and you would help us to build our lives upon the buttress of the truth of the revelation of all that God has made known in his word. And and we would be a people whose lives are shaped and moulded by all that you have spoken. And we would give ourselves to the wonderful disciplines that you've given to the people of God to grow in grace, to grow in the things of Christ, to become the men and women in Christ that you long for each one of us to be. And so we ask, Lord, that we would do this for your honour and for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, folks, and I look forward to being with you this evening. Uh, The Lord bless you. It's been a wonderful privilege, and uh, we look forward to uh, sharing God's Word again uh, this evening. Thank you. Bless you.